we present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Well, remember the case of the Blumhoff Diamond. For it seemed to me to herald the dawn of a new age in scientific detection. The year was 1905. Already, there were quite a few flashy modern motor cars chugging their way through the London streets. We had a telephone installed at Baker Street, and most police stations were able to get in touch with us. The homes of the wealthy were discarding gaslight and adapting quickly to Swan and Edison's electrical systems. Sherlock Holmes was, of course, intensely interested by all these changes. He adapted amazingly swiftly to the advantages they lent to his skills and was continually experimenting with each new scientific invention. On this particular occasion, the day started ordinarily enough. Holmes and I had received dozens of telegrams asking for immediate help, so we thought nothing of taking an early train to Richmond. I hope this proves an interesting journey, Watson. It should do. Well, this man, Leacock, is a diamond dealer. It seems to indicate a robbery of some kind. I shouldn't be a bit surprised. According to what I've been able to find out by telephone from Scotland Yard, this man, Claude Leacock, is not the ordinary diamond speculator. He's a man who moves quite mysteriously, seeking only the best jewels and the shrewdest of deals. Yes, in other words, a man who courts trouble. It would seem so. Certainly a man to be watched, not necessarily to be taken at his word, but you think this might be a false alarm? It could be. I do not make up my mind about anything until I've been presented with all the facts. But when a man is dealing in diamonds, anything can happen. Don't you agree? The rest of the journey was smooth enough. We took a carriage from the station, and there was no need to question where Lee House was. The driver took us straight there, and we were immediately shown into the main sitting room. It was large, comfortably furnished, with a number of armchairs around an old-fashioned fireplace. There was a three-light modern fixture hung from the center of the ceiling, and a table lamp towards one side of the door, near what was obviously a small safe. There was only one door, and the windows looked out high above the garden. Mr. Claude Leacock rose from one of the chairs and came towards us. It was extremely kind of you, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. I hardly expected you to be so prompt. Please do be seated. And allow me to explain the reason for sending for you. Thank you. I should appreciate that. I will come straight to the point. I've been negotiating for some months for one of the most valuable diamonds in existence. I and three other friends. We at last found a customer in America for this particular jewel. We stood to make a considerable profit on this delicate transaction, which all took place in strict secrecy. My arrangements were concluded only yesterday. The seller of the stone arrived from Amsterdam in the morning. I paid him in full. Then I invited my friends here last night to view the stone. But while they were here, it disappeared. I'm at my wit's end. You must help me find it. If I'm able to do so, it will only be because you tell me the whole sequence of events in full. The names of your friends and how it happened. Well, the men concerned are Peter Marvin, Edmund Chester, and Roger Wallace. Mm. They're all businessmen in the trade and personal friends. Yesterday morning, after purchasing the stone, which is, incidentally, known as the Bloomhoff Diamond, I placed it in that safe over there. 
Then I telephoned each man and invited him to dinner in the evening. They knew the purpose. It was to view the diamond and approve the amount we were to sell it for. Ah. As soon as the men received your message, they knew the purchase had been completed? Exactly. At what time did you send the messages? Uh, between three and half past that afternoon. Wallace arrived by car, the other two by train. Dinner was served promptly at eight, and it was just before nine when we came in here to talk the matter over. The room is exactly as you see it now. The centre light on, the reading light on the small table was switched off. Mm. And the windows? Closed and shuttered. The heavy curtains drawn across the bay, just as you see them now. I see. The room has not been touched? Not in any particular. Good. Pray continue. Well, I gave a detailed account of the purchase, and my friends and I discussed the matter for some time. And then... Well, I think that's all very satisfactory, don't you? Yes, excellent. I'm glad you approve, gentlemen. Well, uh, come along. Let's see this wonderful Blumhoff diamond. Well, certainly, I have it right here in the safe. Here we are, in this leather case and wrapped in tissue paper. There. Oh, I say, that. that really is a diamond. I doubt if I've ever seen such a large one. I think we have a bargain here, gentlemen. I wonder that the South African seller didn't ask for considerably more. Yes, our syndicate should profit considerably by this negotiation. The American client is most anxious to purchase. Yeah, may I see? My eyes aren't as good as they were. Well, place it there on the small table, Wallace. Ah. Switch on the reading lamp, Chester. You have your jeweler's eyeglass. Give it a complete inspection. You'll find it worth it. Yeah, very well. What's happened? This is dark. Let me find the main Someone is pushing the table. Take it easy. That's not all of you. Let me find the switch. Good. In the main top light house. Up here. The door. Uh, the door to the passage. They'll be light out there. The passage light works up the same circuit. The whole thing has blown. Oh, candles. There, there, there must be some candles here. Matches, then. Surely someone has a box of matches. I, I have some. Uh, oh, hold on. It's in my pocket somewhere. Come along. Yeah, my pipe. Oh, dear. So, wait. Yeah, yes. Yes, here we are. There. Hold higher, Jeff. The diamond. The diamond. It was there on the table. It's gone. The leather cases there. The, the tissue paper. It must have rolled on the floor. Quick, start looking. Oh, my fingers. Oh. Light another match. Quickly, oh, quickly. The candles. Yeah. We must get some candles. Where are you, sir? Oh, what happened to the light? Oh, Ruby, get some candles from the kitchen. Quickly, girls, quickly. Just to keep those matches going. Light one from the other until the candles come. Right. And everybody, please stay quite still as you are at the moment. But the diamond. We've got to find the diamond. Well, of course, we've got to find the diamond. We'll never find it. Well, moving about. It was some minutes before Ruby, the maid, returned with some candles. We all stayed in the room. No one left it, I'm sure of that. Then the butler, who'd been told of the fuse, managed to open the fuse box in the kitchen and eventually repaired it. The centre lights came on again. I closed the door and the search of the floor began once again. It was useless. The diamond had disappeared, just gone. It could not have left the room, since no one had left or entered it. Even Ruby had remained in the passage when I took the candles from her. Can you describe where everyone was when the lights went out? Yes, I was standing about... Here. Marvin there. Wallace was sitting in that chair and Chester in the chair by the reading lamp. The stone was very large and it would have sparkled in the light. It was nowhere to be found. After we'd thoroughly ransacked the room, we gave up the search in despair. This is damned awkward, you know. The blasted thing has got to be somewhere. I think there's nothing for it. But each of us has to submit to a thorough search. You can start with me, if you like. I'm prepared to strip to the skin. Well, it's, um, darned embarrassing. I... 
If I think Wallace is right. Yeah, I suppose there's nothing else for it. All right, a dreadful business. But we must be sure. I feel responsible, but I must clear myself. All right. Let's trip one at a time. We're all aware of the ways of Joel these. Each man to be given a thorough search. As I say, you would start with me. A space was cleared here in the center of the room, and each of us took off his clothes while the others went over every inch of them. When it was all over, we were all satisfied that none of us was in possession of the diamond. What happened then? Well, we sat down and held a council of war. Eventually, it was agreed that as the diamond had been lost in my house and the evening arranged at my instigation, I must be held responsible for its loss. Well, I tell you, Holmes, that I cannot make good the value of the stone. I shall be reduced to bankruptcy. Have you any theories? Not even I can have a theory without all the facts. Two or three questions. One is who has been in this room since the incident took place? No one. After each man had closed himself, the others watched him until it grew late and it was agreed to part. They left together. I stayed here in this room. I've not left it. I locked the door. That's on the sofa. Early this morning, I rode out the telegram and one of the servants went to the village and sent it off. I've had no news and here I simply couldn't eat a thing. I assure you that this room is in exactly the same state as when the Blumhoff diamond disappeared. It's my belief it is still in here. Mm. Well, that could be. On that point, I think you've acted admirably, Hitchcock. Another question. Are you quite sure that it was at the exact moment that Chester switched on this meeting lamp that the patient did the garden? At that precise moment. And in your search of the room, nothing to find at any interest before? Nothing. I'd let you call a threatening bit in vain. The sound of the table. Even that, I've got to say, I'm not a bit. Well, the case, I think it's important. been so fascinated by such a puzzle and was eager to see how Holmes would tackle the matter. To my complete surprise, he sat himself down in one of the easy chairs and simply gazed around. We were silent, watching him observe every detail of the furnishings. And then he said, You must be very weary, Leacock. Might I suggest that you leave us, go to your room, take a bath, change the clothes that you've been sleeping in and get yourself something to eat. By that time, I shall have finished in here, and we can talk once again. Well, I think that's an excellent suggestion. If you don't mind, I'll do exactly that. Please touch the bell if you need anything. One of the servants will attend you. Mm, splendid. Uh, just how big is your staff? I have a butler, James, a cook, Mrs. Hawkes, and Ruby, the housemaid. Small staff, but we manage between us. I'm a bachelor. The house is not all that big, really. I see. Well, I may ask to interview all three servants before I go. And meanwhile, take your time in recovering from your long ordeal. Thank you. It is indeed a relief to have you dealing with this terrible matter. Please do make yourself at home. Mm. Oh, now, Watson, what do you make of things? Well, yes, sir, I know, Holmes. If Leacock is right and no one took the diamond out of this room, then it must still be here. Do you intend to search the place? No, no, I think that would be something of a waste of time. Leacock will have moved everything in his efforts to find the jewel. No, just a few things. The curtain, the starter... Yes. They're very thick. And the windows are securely fastened. The drop of the gardens is quite considerable. Now the lamp, the reading lamp. Well, this lights up all right now. Yes, but let me switch it off and take out the electric light bulb. Yes, it's interesting, very interesting. And very swift. A matter of a few seconds to remove the bulb and replace it. Really a wonderful invention, the reading lamp. Now, what was it Leacock said? They searched thoroughly and found nothing but a threepenny piece on the carpet. 
Now, on the mantelpiece, I think he's certain I'll let it be, eh? Oh, yes, here it is. Yes, I think I'll pocket this. Oh, Holmes, I've heard of people picking up small coins for luck, but don't you think in these circumstances it's a trifle mean? Not at all. It might bring me good luck. Yes. I think now, while Leacock is about his ablutions, it'll be a good opportunity to have a word or two with the servants. Shall we find our way to their quarters, Watson? way below stairs, as it were, and found the cook, Mrs. Hawkes, busy preparing a meal. How much she knew of the drama going on about her was hard to guess, but she did have decided views. Don't go over it, Mr. Holmes. It's dangerous, all this electricity. It's not natural. Why, we'll all be burnt in our beds if we don't watch out. No, well, you may find that it won't be long before you're able to cook with it. Me? Oh, never. Gas is bad enough. Give me a good coal fire, I'll produce you a decently cooked meal. Uh, is that the fuse box up there? That's right. James and I was having a bit of dinner at that table. The leftovers, you understand. Ruby had gone to clear up the dining room. We was about to get ready to do the washing up when... Oh, suddenly, there's a spark from that there box. All the lights go out. Oh, I handled it the wedding. Never did trust the electricity. James got up and fiddled about and eventually put... Bits of wire back in that thing. But it took him time, I can tell you. Gave us all such a fright. I tell you, it's far too dangerous an invention. Hmm. Well, we must have progress, you know. Uh, what about the telephone? Well, uh, I must admit, I, I have answered it on the other occasion. Seems funny hearing someone's voice speaking from miles away. At the same time, you are, if you know what I mean. As a matter of fact, I heard Ruby's father only yesterday. He'd been ill telephoned her to say he was better. I answered the phone, and then I called Ruby. Ah, I see. Well, I'm glad you think some modern inventions are useful, Mrs. Hawkes. Well, we shall leave you now. I think Mr. Leacock will want to have a few words with us before we get back to London. A good day to you. Come, Watson. We waited a short time until Claude Leacock appeared, looking considerably refreshed and eager to know what Holmes had decided. Holmes remained totally non-committal, but gave quite precise directions. Hmm. I shall leave you now, Leacock, and travel back to town. Watson and I will lunch there, and we both have several things to do. But in the meantime, will you please get in touch with your friends, Peter Marvin, Edmund Chester, and Roger Wallace? Tell them that they must all three return here this evening at 8.30. Tell them that I, Sherlock Holmes, have investigated and decided exactly how the diamond disappeared. Tell them that I expect it to be returned. Holmes, this, this is extraordinary. Are you sure? Oh, yes, perfectly sure. You must telephone each of them now and say that it is a matter of life and death. And if they don't arrive on time, I shan't place their future at the value of a threepenny bit. Those words, understand? Come, Watson. We have just time to catch the next train home. We caught the next train with some minutes to spare, and Holmes was extremely thoughtful for most of the journey. Eventually, he stopped puffing at his empty meerschaum pipe, gazed out at the fields flashing by the window, and said, The Barrel Coronet, the Amersham Emerald, and the Mazarin Stone. Those three cases that you have chronicled immediately spring to mind, don't they, Watson? Oh, you mean they all three dealt with missing jewels? Yes, I remember. But they are different from the present case in two respects. Can you say what those two respects are, Watson? Uh, well, uh, let's see. Well, uh... uh... No, uh, no, I... The rest of I can. The telephone and electric light. Yes. 
prove today's modern advances in the easy living of our present-day society, and both an integral part of this very puzzling case. I confess I cannot see how. Oh, you will, Watson, you will. You have already accepted the telephone and used it to great effect in your personal and professional life. I think you may soon appreciate electricity to the full. Might I suggest that you start by learning how to replace a fuse, Watson? I was glad of the afternoon to devote to my own work, but interested when, in the early evening, Holmes once again asked me to accompany him back to Lee House at Richmond. We were back in the same room again by eight o'clock. The other guests had arrived, and Claude Leacock introduced us both. Holmes had, on the train, given me the most explicit instructions. I didn't understand them at all, but knew better than to query his requests. Before the assembled company had gathered to hear what he had to say, I was dispatched to the servants' quarters. Apparently, once I'd left the room, Holmes got down to business. Well, gentlemen, I'm glad that you've all managed to arrive here on time as requested. That's good. It means we will have cooperation. Of course. But I couldn't make sense of Claude's message. He said you knew exactly what had happened to the diamond. And some rot about our lives not being worth threatens. What's it mean? Please, Mr. Holmes will explain. Just give him time. Thank you. Now, firstly, will you all resume the positions you were in last night when the lights fused and the diamond disappeared? Uh, please. I'll do as he says. Yeah, I, uh, I was standing I, right here. I know where I am. Yeah. Good. Now, I assure you that apart from the inevitable searching that you yourselves did, everything is exactly the same as it was last night. Now, the top electric light is on and the reading lamp on the table is off. It is all exactly the same. Is that not so? Absolutely. Yes, exactly. exactly. Now, I shall just alter things a little by ringing the servant bell... Now, Leacock, will you please produce the leather case in which the Blumhoff diamond was taken from the safe? Of course, I have it to hand. Here. Uh, and the tissue paper? Of course. Now, place them on the small table in exactly the position you can remember. Certainly. Uh, thank you. Now, I think I should tell you that you will be receiving a call from the police within the next ten minutes. Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen, I must explain. The police will call on the telephone. It will be up to you, then, to say what course of action you wish them to take. You can merely say it's a false alarm, or you can instruct them to take action against the man who took the diamond. But we don't know who took the blood. Patience. Patience. You rug, sir. Uh, yes, I did, Ruby. Here, I have something of yours in my pocket. A threepenny bit. It was found on the floor here last night, after the lights went out and the valuable diamond disappeared. It is yours, isn't it? Well, look here. What sort of joke is this? Well, why drag Ruby into it? Uh, you will see. Please do not move from your position. Now, allow me, I shall turn on the table lamp. So. Damn bad taste, Holmes. The matches. We know it's no good trying to light switch. Here we are. Matches, yes. Great heavens. Look, in the light of the match. Something glittering on the tissue paper. It's the diamond. The diamond is back. Yes, and so are the lights. Watson's fixed the fuse in the kitchen exactly as instructed. Well, Leacock, I told you I'd be responsible for returning your diamond. Now, gentlemen, I shall leave you. The good Watson will be here in a moment, and we just have time to take a carriage to the station for the train home. But what does it mean? How, how did it all happen? Who is responsible? Gentlemen, you can do one of two things. Work it out yourselves and agree to take appropriate action against the would-be thief, or place the whole thing in the hands of the police and let them work it out. If they do then criminal action will be taken against the culprit and your business will be made public. If you do it yourselves, 
then it can still be resolved in secret. But we don't know which one of us is guilty. How can we know? Let me give you a very broad hint. The late Ruby is a well-known jewel thief who's only worked here a few months. She's also worked for considerably longer for Mr. Peter Marvin. And Mr. Marvin phoned yesterday to this house, impersonating her father to say he was much better. Doesn't that give you a clue, gentlemen? Ah, Watson, you're here. The case is closed as far as we are concerned. Shall we go home? I was as baffled as I usually am when Holmes solves an intricate case. I knew he wouldn't tell me all about it until he was ready. And this came after we were safely settled in an otherwise empty compartment on the London-bound train. You see, it was all a childishly simple trick. The whole success of the theft depended upon the lights going out at exactly the right time. Fuses do not blow without some reason. In this case, a threepenny piece inserted under the bulb of a lamp was a piece of metal bridging the contact and causing the electrical short circuit. I noticed a small stain on the coin in question. Yes, but who put it there? Ruby the maid, while they were having dinner. She hid behind the heavy curtains near the lamp. When the lights went out, she swiftly stepped forward, removed the bulb, tipped out the coin, replaced the bulb, and taking the diamond, slipped from the room. By the time the matches flared, she appeared in the door to inquire what the trouble was. So, she did it all? Mm, not all. He was acting under Marvin's instructions. He worked it all out, and when he knew the game was all set, he rang her on the telephone, pretending to be her father. That meant they would go ahead with the plan. She must have slipped the diamond into Marvin's coat pocket in the hall when she went out to the kitchen. When I gave them all the warning that I knew how it was worked, Marvin decided that he'd better return the diamond, or his life wouldn't be worth a threepenny bit. Yes, but how is it that the lights all fused a second time? Because I put yet another coin in the base of the holder under the bulb. Ah, not so hard up that I can't afford threepenny to solve the case. Watson. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.